At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Are you ready to write? Do you want to learn what it takes to create a writing career? Then tune in and take notes because on Simply Write, we talk about the writer's craft and the qualities and quirks of living a writer's life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Simply Write with Polly, the podcast where we talk about writing craft and crafting a writer's life. And you know, I talk all the time on the show about the value of continuing education, not just in writing. I think writers have to keep learning about a whole bunch of things in the world, right? So we have different experiences and different things to write about. As writers, we have a unique situation and opportunity. It's easy to get trapped behind our desk and forget that we need to continue to study and up-level our craft. We need to hone our knowledge base and our skills when it comes to writing, writing structure, voice, pitching, all the things that make us good at what we do, right? Especially if we wanna create a sustainable career, one where we can write and publish throughout our time. So today, this is part of my continuing education because I learned so much from Estelle Rasmus. She's an award-winning journalist, writing coach, and speaker who has written for over 100 publications, including the New York Times, AARP, Newsweek, Next Avenue, Wired, Salon, the list goes on. She's been an editor-in-chief of five national publications, which I call the bigs. They're the fancy, glossy big magazines that have influenced our culture and our lives in so many ways. And she's been the guest editor of Narratively. She hosts Freelance Writing Direct Podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, right after you listen to this one, go subscribe. And Estelle is also an adjunct instructor at NYU School of Professional Studies, Center for Publishing and Applied Liberal Arts. She's the author of Writing That Gets Noticed, Find Your Voice, Become a Better Storyteller, and Get Published. And I'll tell you what, she is here on the show and I'm fired up. Welcome, Estelle. Thank you so much, Polly. What a lovely introduction. I'm so happy to be with you on the show today. We open every show with a segment that we call The Dailies. I want to know what that looks like for you, Estelle. You're teaching, you're writing, you're coaching. What is a day in the life of writer Estelle look like? Holly, I love that question. First <laughs> of all, first of all, my day starts faster than it did last month, because last month, my now 14-year-old daughter was in sleepaway camp. And so I could have a languorous morning. I'm not an early bird. I try, I've tried, but I'm just not an early bird. So I could do my reading, I can catch up on whatever kind of notes I need to make from what I want plan to do for the day. Now, as you know, I'm getting up, I'm taking her to tennis practice, I'm running it in a way that doesn't allow me to have that slow 
beginning and that will continue for the rest of the year. So I'm going to tell you twice, the slow beginning, <laughs> I would read, I would go and look at anything that I'm interested in that's trending. And I talk about in my book about creating a mapping template and I sort of even have it in my head by now I know what I'm interested in and in the book I break down write down what all the things that make you up you are you adopting a child do you have an adoptive child did you have a deadbeat dad do you are you have you developed a passion for pickleball <laughs> and then write also look at what's in the news and what connects to your interests and then see what newsletters and set up Google alerts on your interests. And so I kind of do that amalgamation. I always have about 20 Google alerts going at a given time. And I learned about that when Google first started becoming very prominent. And I thought this is really interesting. And what I found is that many, many authors, when they're writing their books, they set up Google alerts for the subjects that they're writing about. I talked to neuroscientists who were like, yeah, I put it in to find out the latest research or what my colleagues are doing or what's being written about in other publications. And so even if you're not using the information that comes out of it, it's helping you to craft what you want to do and figure out how, what, how your thinking should go in what direction. So I do that. And then I kind of catch up on any kind of editing work I have. I like to do my editing work either very early in the morning, right? But not very early, like not five o'clock a.m. <laughs> early, but early for me, a, you know, 7.30ish, that kind of thing. And also, I'm a night bird. <laughs> not as much of a night bird when I was single, which was 18 so years ago, but I, I like to do some of my editing work. It's like 1130, 12 o'clock and then send it off and then go to sleep. So that's how I get my mornings going. The teaching stuff is later, later in the day, either lunchtime, if I'm doing that kind of Zoom situation or in the evening. I do work very well in the early evening. So that's a long-winded <laughs> explanation. Awesome. <laughs> and, and those are the dailies. I love that explanation because what we talk about often here is there's no one right way to get the work done, but you need to know your way. One thing you talked about in your book as a strategy is to know yourself first. And I thought that was really interesting because so often we hear just the opposite. We'll go to what you're interested in. But you got to know what you're interested in, right? And you have to know it so well that you can live with it if you're writing a book for two years or writing an article for four weeks or whatever it is. So talk to me a little bit about why you started there and why you coach people to really understand what drives them. Yeah, well, I believe that if you have a story you need to tell it today when there's so much noise out there in a very compelling way and in a way that is really executed well. So the first thing is craft. But to be able to craft, you have to have the information and the ideas. And that starts with you. 
So that's where I began. That's where I thought about incubating ideas. Well, how do you find ideas and how do you incubate them? You find out what you are all about because that is where your energy is going to want to go. And I'm a big believer in energy, as I know you are, and I'm a big believer in following your energy. And so that's the esoteric part, the very tangible, practical part, which I like to really focus on with my students, is to break down what makes you. Why are you the person to write this story? Why are you the person to write this article? And many times, some of my students start with, they don't have clips. And so if you can make that tangential connection, so you want to write about egg donation, well, maybe you're in the midst of dealing with that. And that's a framework that they you can use to support your case for writing it to the editor. Now, of course, when you're pitching, you have to have all the elements in place. And I, I teach how to do that through the book and through my classes. And so the students need to understand that in pitching, you have to show why this, why now, why me. And the why me is the crux of that very beginning of my book, where I talk about the mapping template and how to come up with your ideas and how to use what's around you in the zeitgeist to support and put those together. And I'll give you a very uh, kind of brief explanation of that in effect. I always loved Penny Marshall for her wonderful role as Laverne and Laverne and Shirley. And she was just kind of a role model for me because I was not, I didn't have it as much chutzpah as she did back when I was growing up. And so I, but we were both busty. She had the L emblazoned on her. And so when she died, I wrote an essay about it. And I loved the essay, but with the news cycle, things move fast. And I was a little too behind the eight ball to, to get it in. So editors said, no, you know, sorry, we already have things scheduled, you know, to cover Penny Marshall. So I held on to it. That was 2018. But I set up Google Alerts for everything Penny Marshall everything. So if there was a theater in, you know, Tim, Timbuktu that like focused on one of her pieces or one of her stories, I got that. So what I found was an early indication that Amazon Prime was going to do a series based on a league of their own. And I thought, bingo, that's it. Because of my Google alert, I was one of the first ones to find it out. And I framed my essay around that. And then I reached out to an editor and I said, here it is. This is relevant now because even though she died in 2018, the series is coming out based on her first $100 million box office movie, which is funny now that Barbie has hit a million. <laughs> yeah. But back then that was big news. Um, and 
I wrote a, an essay about how her impact is Laverne, you know, the impact it made on my life. So would you like to see it? Absolutely. Boom. And it got into AARP, the Apple, which has 65 million readers. That approach is so smart because we talk about hitting that peg, right? Hitting the hook for your story. Sometimes when I read uh, pitches from other people, I, I keep wanting to say queries because when I was coming up, it was always a query, right? Now everything's a pitch. But but when I read pitches that people have sent me for, for support or whatever, the reason for writing is because I've been a freelancer for 10 years or because... but. It's not that they trust that you're going to be able to pull off the story and you need to explain how. But what we're talking about here is the hook or the peg, the thing that makes it relevant, not only to your market, but the market you want to write for, but also to you. And when you brought up Laverne, of course, I can relate to that, Estelle. Of course, I'll read that article because I am right back there in those moments that you described. So it's your unique story, but it has this universal appeal then when it's framed around that timely hook. Absolutely, Polly, you, you, you nailed it. The, uh, the universal becomes personal, so yes. Talk to me about the freelance market right now. It's changing every year now. You're talking about essays, you're talking about service pieces. Is there still a market for these things? So when I started, three decades ago, um, you know, the word rate for print, the big rate was $2 a word, maybe a dollar a word, $2 a word. And it's sad to say that for print, we're still there 30 years later, which is sad. But there are so many more outlets now where writers can make their mark, get noticed by breaking through the noise if they know what to do. So I think that these days, it's best to cobble out a career, a writing career that em enjoys many facets. So maybe you're writing essays, maybe you're writing articles, maybe you're working on some content, maybe you're dealing with a somebody the ideal is to not have to cold pitch after a while, that editors get to know your writing and your voice. And I talk in my book about how you can imbue your writing with voice because just writing listicles is going to get you absolutely nowhere, except as somebody that editors will call on to write many listicles. And um, that's not going to get you probably where you want to go. So I would say that there are more markets. There are more opportunities. There are more ways to kind of segue whatever you're doing and build it into something mm -hmm. else. So you can maximize your content by repurposing it in so many ways from social media to podcasts, to videos, to reels, to um, other articles. So there's a lot more of that synthesizing, I feel, today than back in the day when I first started. And I've been an editor all along with print up until the early oats, and then with narratively and as an editor for my students. Yeah, I think that's a great point. When I, when I started and really the first half of my career, I could write 
and I could write for publications that knew me or somebody who gave me a shot. And I did that over and over. Now I'm doing a podcast. I, I also have a, a class based on my book, You Recharged, a, a self-help class. Then I'm also writing writing articles. I mean, there's an opportunity if you want to work and you want to learn. What's valuable about books like yours and podcasts like ours is you got to keep learning. You got to keep up in your game because it's changing quickly. And there are opportunities out there for your style and your voice if you keep crafting and honing your skills. And I want to talk about that. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about voice. You talk about it a lot in your book. You've referred to it here. I think it's that intangible thing that becomes very, very tangible when you know it's important and how to do it. So we're going to talk more with Estelle Erasmus when we come back on Simply Write with Polly right here on the Creators Network of Electrocast. And we are back on Simply Write with Polly. And this is the podcast where we talk about the writing craft and crafting the writer's life. And we are with editor, teacher, author, writer, Estelle Erasmus. She's the author of Writing That Gets Noticed, Find Your Voice, Become a Better Storyteller, and Get Published, and the host and producer of Freelance Writing Direct. And read this book. Writing that gets noticed, find your voice, become a better storyteller and get published. All those things are true. You will become a better writer, but you also get a better sense of the markets out there and how to approach them, which is part of being in business as a writer. So when we went to break, Estelle, I was talking to you about voice. You've mentioned it a few times. How do you capture this thing that nobody can really describe? And yet you know it when you read it. Yeah, so I started, uh, I, I studied voice for many years. And to me, words are like music. And if you hear the first note of something that Barbara Streisand sings, you know, it's Barbara Streisand, you know, it's Rihanna, you know, it's Kelly Clarkson. It's the same thing with a writer who has a specific voice that you want to start to establish. So one of the ways, and I suggest this in my book, and I've done it myself, and I've guided my students to doing it, is if you are writing a an article, a reported piece, a, a piece of service journalism, which is journalism, and I know you've covered it, journalism that helps improve your life and work, you know, tips and tricks and information. And that's usually in health or in money or in psychology and parenting in so many different aspects. And if you put your, you frame it around your story in the beginning, of the article and then get into the tips and the tricks and end with your voice, something you're saying, something you're summing up, something that took the story to the next level with you and your experience. And to give you an example, the piece that I wrote for the New York Times that went viral in 2019, How to Bully for Your Child, I framed it around my daughter's experience getting bullied when she was young. And that's how I framed it. And then I went into the tips and the tricks and, and the information to help a parent have their child not be bully proof. And because I framed it around my voice and my story, 
Good Morning America reached out to me to hear my story. And so even though I was the writer of it, if I had written it in a strictly technical term, how to bullyproof your child, here's advice from the experts, and I didn't put myself into the story, that would have been a very different scenario, I believe. It gives weight to your writing too. When I was working on my first book called Imperfect Spirituality, I just, I've told this story before. I was having so many problems getting into it. Like just the writing was boring. The I was behind the idea. I really believed in the research I had and it was just not a fun write. And I figured if I wasn't having fun, if I was slogging through the writer, it wasn't going to be a fun read. And I realized that it was because I was coming off like some academic. I was pretending to be the authority. And I'm just this woman living this experience who researched all this stuff to help me in my experience. When I went back and redrafted that first chapter from the perspective from my voice, which is, hey, my life is like a sitcom mess. And if I can figure it out, you can. The book really took off for me. It was fun to write. It was um, it's been well read. And the one comment I got from publisher and readers now is that it feels like sitting down and having coffee with you like that's what they're drawn to and again i think it's that unique slant that the story only you can tell the way only you can tell it to these bigger issues that you're talking about in the world right exactly and if people are struggling to find their voice like what is voice one of my tips that I share in my book is to watch TV with the captions on because you will see the dialogue. You will see how people speak and TV is short. You have to get the attention really quickly. And so the writing goes to that. So I think that's really helpful to see. To find your own voice is to, if you tape record yourself telling a story, you will see your little idiosyncrasies that make you you. Maybe you look at, I think in the book I mentioned, like how you look at a kaleidoscope. Maybe you look at it as a swirling morass of colors, or maybe you look at it in a different way as, um, you know, the, the reds are so vivid, they overshadow all the other colors, but this is the way your voice is the way you see the world. And that comes through in your writing. And it should come through in your writing for you to break through the noise and get the attention of not only re readers, but editors who are really your first reader. It makes so much sense to do these little things so that you're in the world of thinking like this a little more, like listen to people, listen to how they talk and, and what they bring in, in your own tone of voice too. But I'll tell you, Estelle, early on in my career, this was pretty much edited out of me, right? This is another evolution. Some of the articles I wrote on early in my career from a journalistic background, they didn't want any piece of me at all. So I've had to really work on voice and and learn to be free and be vulnerable a little bit on the page yes i i love that i love that you're you've evolved as the times have Working evolved on because, it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you mentioned vulnerability and i i talk about that in the book also you know you could be vulnerable in a way that 
makes people relate to you without giving every single detail away in a way that's going to probably possibly ruin your life. I mean, <laughs> one of the, you know, when I, when I coach students and they say to me, I want to write about this, I want to write about that. I'm kind of their first gatekeeper to say, yes, this makes sense or no, that doesn't. So when a student of mine said, I want to write about how I get so angry at my kids that I want to throw them against the wall, but I don't. And she's in the middle of going through a divorce. I say, do not write about that because writing about something like that will hurt you because when you unleash something out into the world, you have to be prepared for how the world is going to receive it. Especially now, man. Yeah. Potentially your kids or family, your mom, people, your exes, <laughs> they're going to see right. it potentially. I always say, I always say this to my students and I say this in my book, don't blow up your life for a byline. <laughs> That's great. That's true. <laughs> yeah. How do you start to get there? So with my students, it's a real big focus on the editing and the ideas. So they will run their ideas by me. And I have this spidey sense developed over three decades in the publishing world on both sides of the wall that I know what an idea that resonates for me will resonate for editors and for the outside world. And so I'll be able to say, yes, that works. Now let's figure that out. Like I had a student um, who in the beginning of the pandemic, he wanted to have a brainstorming session with me and we talked about ideas and he was saying, I wanna write about this, I wanna write about that, I wanna write about homeschooling. And I said, wait, are you an expert on that? He goes, yeah, my kids are homeschooled and I have all this information and this is all new. And I said, this, this is perfect because I don't think anyone in the beginning of the pandemic yet had written about it. And I said, you need to pitch the New York Times well section. And he said, I've, I've always wanted to be in there. And I said, yeah, and you need to do this fast because you need to be first, you need to be fast, you need to get it in. And I helped guide him with the pitch. He'd never pitched before. And he did get it accepted. And he said to me, if they accept it, I have to start writing it. I said, you have to start writing it now. I said, because if they accept it, they're going to need it by Friday latest. And that was Tuesday. And sure wow. enough. Yeah. And he got it in and it was in the, the paper the following Monday. And he said, after 20 plus years, I finally got in. I was so happy. You know, he was so happy and it was a great article. And I guided him with that process. So the idea generation is the first part. And then, and I'm sort of the title queen. I am a title. I love titles. I love working with words, playing with words. I say in the book, they're sort of my playground. And so I help my students ground their idea by helping them come up with the title. Mm. And then they write it. They write the first draft. And I tell, I encourage them, just like you said, Polly, just put it all out on the page. Just get it there. But I do give them like to keep to a word count because otherwise it's just a whole regurgitation right. and there's no thought. They have to start having some thought about, you know, keeping it to a certain limit. I mean, if the word count is going to be, 1500 words and they go to 2000, that's okay. But if they go to 5000, that's not okay because they still have to have some thought to it. And then I go through and I edit and I do the first as a developmental edit. And I say, well, this is 
you know, I think you need more of this, more of you in it. And one of the big things is when people write personal essays, and I see this so much in the classes that I teach for NYU and Writer's Digest and my one-on-one coaching clients, which are students who have already taken my classes, um, that people for the personal, they make it like an over, like an very, um, how do I say? It's like the omniscience, like one sees this often. And, and I'm like, no, personal essay is you. Get back to you. Don't make it that like one might see or people in general. I said a personal essay is you. So keep it focused on, on you. Even though there's no I in personal essay, I say put the I in the personal <laughs> essay Great. because you need that. And so then after that, I do probably another two edits. And by then there, and what I do is I edit as I say why I'm doing what I'm doing. I feel like my big philosophy of teaching is you give someone a fish, you feed them for the night, you teach them how to fish, and they can feed themselves for the rest of their lives. And that's what I do in showing my editing process as I work with their pieces. And so they get me in their heads. They tell me that my students say, I have you in my head as well as I'm writing. And that's the, the greatest honor to be told that. And that makes me feel that what I'm doing is being very effective. I, I still have a couple of editors in my head. One I worked with like 25 years ago, early on. And, and I tell you what, when you get an editor that's willing to do that and, and sees us as a collaboration, you just become instantly better. And so does your work. Not everybody does that, right? But when yeah. you find one of those editors or teachers, you just hang with them as much as you can because you will improve. Estella Rasmus, the author of Writing That Gets Noticed, Find Your Voice, Become a Better Storyteller, and Get Published. What a pleasure to have you. Thank you for teaching us and hanging with us today. Thank you. It's been a, such a pleasure. So much fun talking with you, Polly. What's in the desk? Estelle, this is my favorite segment. What tools, tricks, supplies, music do you have around you when you're writing or editing? Okay, so... I don't have anything in the desk except for like paid bills, but <laughs> on the desk, I have a wedding photo of me and my husband from 2005 when we got married in Maui. So sad what happened with Maui, yes. but in Maui, and because he's kind of my rock, my stalwart, everybody, he, I run my stories, my essays past him before anything gets published. And so I have a picture of us together. And as of late, since my book was published, I have my writing gets noticed pen next to me that I take all my notes and my writing that gets noticed mug that I just made one just for myself. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but I have it. And so that just kind of Another thing that buoys me as I as I write, as I teach, as I edit. Estelle, where can we hear the podcast? Where can we get this book that I'm raving about? I'm not kidding, guys. Go buy the book. It, you know, another thing, I'm like an advertisement here and I'm not even getting paid. Estelle. Another thing I like about the book is the glossary. If you're just entering the freelance realm, 
go, you're going to learn about the business by just reading the glossary in the back. And also there's a list of organizations, the notes in the back go to resources mentioned in the book, but they also have links if you go on the digital version. So a, a good way to learn about, and I'm doing this right now, I'm working more on essays than I have in a long time. And so I'm going to read a bunch of the essays that have gotten published to see why, to diagram those and take those apart. Because I think as we do these different aspects of our career, like we talked about earlier, you know, when I was preparing the podcast, I listened to a bunch of podcasts. We need to learn about what's working, what's not, and how we can bring our voice to all those things. So in any of that, Estelle, how can we get the book? How can we work with you, find out more about what you're up to? Sure. And in the book also, I'm, I'm glad you brought up some of the elements of it, that the, the data and all places to get research. And also I break down pitches, analyze them, show you exactly what works and why, as I do for essays, including modern love essay and other, you know, how to craft an essay. So I cover all of that. The book is available everywhere books are sold. There, It's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, Bookshop, everywhere books are sold. So I'm thrilled about that. And um, you can find Freelance Writing Direct, the podcast where I talk to best-selling authors like Cheryl Strait and Ann Hood and William Dameron and Vanessa Poit plus workaday writers. And of course, you were on the podcast, Polly. Workaday writers. Work -writers. <laughs> and um, other podcasters and broadcasters like Harris Faulkner. Um, and that give actionable writing advice and tips. And that's on iTunes, Spotify, um, also on YouTube now. I now have a YouTube channel and on my website at estellesarasmus.com where I share tons of writing advice in my newsletter. I also have a Substack, which is the writing that get no gets noticed Substack. And you can find that at um, Estelle, at, at substack.com. Uh, Estelle S. Erasmus, and I'm on social media everywhere, including TikTok giving writing advice at Estelle S. Erasmus. So that's how you can find me everywhere. And I'm teaching an upcoming class for NYU. It's an eight-week Zoom class called Writing About Midlife and Beyond mm. Through Memoir, Essays, and Articles. Now, and can anyone enter a class like that or do you have to yes, be okay yes it's for the school of professional studies and it's an eight-week zoom class and i will work directly with students on the beginnings of their memoir essays articles and share tons of information and have editors zooming in fantastic take advantage of these resources and talk to the people who have been making it work for years you can find me at simplywrite.substack.com where we share, take a deep dive into some of the authors we visit with and add links to the show and their work and other thoughts about how I'm making it through the day while being a mom and a wife and a podcaster and a writer and all the other things that I do. You can find my newest book, You Recharged, How to Beat Fatigue Mostly, Amp Up Your Energy Usually, and Enjoy Life Again Always, wherever books are sold. And uh, subscribe to this podcast. Your reviews on the books and the podcast for everybody really help because it, it changes whatever the mathy stuff is to help more people find the show. So I appreciate you. Check me out at polycampbell.com, social media, and join our community at simplywrite.substack.com.
And writers, as you go through the week, think about the words of Laura Spencer. She says, no matter how much experience you have, how many degrees you have, or how well known you have become, there's always something new to learn. Don't rest on your past experiences. If you do nothing to improve your skills, you won't stay where you are. Writers, sit down this week and simply write. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.